It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's podcast, I have with me via Zoom in California, a former jockey and now film director, Nathan Horrocks. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Hi Stephen, how are you? Um, well, I'm very, very well, thank you. We won't go into that at the moment, but I've only got one more day and I'm uh, out from self-isolating, but I'm perfectly all right and I've had two negative tests and I feel 100%. So uh, let's not uh, talk about me, but how do we find a Yorkshireman in California? Uh, yeah, God, I mean, it's it's been a long old journey getting here, really. It's, um, you know, it's, it's I've been here since September, actually, moved out here um you know to my wife got a new job and uh, and i and i you know i came with her and uh, what i've done is is you know, all the stuff i've been doing in the uk around equine productions and jockey cam we've been trying to set that up here in the us i mean we've always had a little you know a little bit of work come from from america over the past 5 years but um you know through the breeders cup but um what we wanted to do was uh, moving out here was is really try and grow equine productions and 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 jockey cam and and you know, give the, the the US fans the experience of what the UK and Europe fans have been having from from our work over the last sort of you know ten years really. So it's um, it's been an enjoyable journey getting here, but um, it's uh, it was it was actually nice to be back in the UK a couple of weeks ago because I came over to cover Ascot Royal Ascot, and um, it was fun to um, be back in the changing room with a few of the jocks and seeing some old old faces and. You know, because obviously a few of the, uh, you know, it was a it was a test event for the crowds being back, and it was really really nice to see some old colleagues and uh, some friends and uh, catch up with some of those people. But uh, I have I have missed the UK, but I do love it here. It's uh, it's an amazing country, and and California is such a beautiful state. Just you mentioned about flying over. There can't be many people on these aeroplanes. No, it's uh, it's dire straits, isn't it? I was chatting to a couple of um, British Airways pilots uh, while I was at Ascot, funny enough, and um, something's like I think British Airways are losing something like three million a day, 
which is frightening, you know. And uh, yeah, these aeroplanes are just empty, you know. It's it's such a bizarre feeling, really, uh, flying back and forth, you know. But um, I'm hoping that we, you know, we get opened up soon, and uh, you know, a few uh, few of our English friends can can uh, can come and can come and see us, you know. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to because I'd love to show them this beautiful state that I'm living in. So is California now a permanent home for you? It is, yeah. I mean, you know, I mentioned earlier my wife. Uh, she teaches in San Francisco. Uh, she's uh, you know, she she teaches. Uh, I can't remember what grade it is because uh, I'm, I'm I'm still working in old money, but the eight to ten year olds. <laughs> so that's uh, that's what she, that's who she teaches, and um, uh, you know, her daughter lives here with us, and uh, you know, my stepdaughter Amelia. So it's uh, it's great that. Um, that we've you know we've set up camp here and um, it's definitely a permanent home for me. I I love the outdoors and uh, and the sun shines you know pretty much every day here in uh, in Northern California. It's very rare it gets uh, it gets cold and wet like the UK. Uh, I know a lot of my UK uh, friends are very very jealous of some of the photographs I get to take out here and uh, and constantly winding constantly winding them up, sending them these sunset pictures and stuff like that. So it's uh, it's a beautiful place to live. Yeah, well, don't mention the weather at the moment we've been having here. It's just been raining and raining and keeping raining. So, But you're in the racing headlines at the moment for your film, The Four, which hopefully you're going to tell us about when it's going to be released, but um, which focuses on the mental health of jockeys. Firstly, the burning question is, why did you make the film? Well, I've got to go back a few years, really. Um, I... In 2015, I went through a bit of a bit of a you know painful divorce, and um, you know it's funny saying that now because I'm as happy as can be right now. But um, you know, at the time, it was it was um, it was pretty a pretty tough thing that I went through, and um, and I was just struggling with my own kind of mental health. You know, and I don't want to sound like everybody's suffering with mental health these days because they're, they're not. It's just that there's different levels of it. Do you know what I mean? And um, you know, I was really really struggling uh, for a while, and um, you know, I mean, everyone knows that I was very heavy involved with a horse called Many Clouds, and and after we lost him, he was kind of like my kind of I kind of pinned my every day. You know, get up in the morning. He was the reason I was getting up every morning, really, to keep keep everything keep, keep everything going. Even though, as you know, from the outside, everyone was looking at me being successful as a you know as a as a film director, or running Neckline, you know, help running Neckline Productions, my two business partners, Sam Fleet and Dave James. Um, and jockey cam was going really well, but I was having a real, real battle with my own, um, you know, my own state of mind. And um, after, you know, a long time in therapy and stuff like that, I started writing this story, basically. It was a, I've spent a many a car journey with jockeys and they've been good and bad car journeys. The good car journeys are when they've had a winner, they're driving home, you know, they're in great spirits and, you know, the, the, the day's gone smoothly. But I've also spent days in, in, in that car, in them car journeys with other jockeys and also my own self of that lonely drive home when things haven't gone quite right. And, you know, the phone call comes from the agent or the trainer. Owners aren't happy. You know, they don't want you riding the horse anymore. And I, I've, I've been there myself, and but I've also witnessed it as well. And, you know, in many a car journey and, that's the stuff that, that, that the wider world don't get to see because um, the important thing we all need to understand that the jockeys are, are, you know, supreme athletes first and foremost. But the other thing that we don't understand is 
you know, we, we see them as, as stars of our sport. So we think that they're, you know, they're, they're fine financially and, and, and doing well in life. You know, we see them in, as, as the superstars of racing. What we don't understand is they're freelancers. You know, they, if they don't ride, they don't get paid. And um, that brings a certain amount of pressure if you're at a certain level of rider, you know. Even at the top, that, that brings pressure because you want to, if you're at the top, you still want to be riding them big, big races and them big winners. But even the guys, you know, in the middle or even in the lower uh, table of the, of the jockey's, uh, jockey's list, they're always going to be struggling to make ends meet sometimes, you know, because they're always chasing the next ride because there's always somebody else to take your place. And that can be a frightening world to live in. And what I wanted to show is that that, that can bring a whole world of pressure to an athlete when you're always chasing the next paycheck and making sure that not only the ride that you had that day is important, but the one you're going to be getting in the future, you know, you're always trying to keep everybody happy. So you've constantly got to be showing happiness and professionalism in, in, in that world. So the only time they get to really let go of that is, is in the car journey home because they can't really be showing it at home and they definitely can't be showing it in front of their peers in the changing room. You've got to be on show all the time, and it's something. And, that and they only and, and even as you said about jockeys, uh, the best jockeys probably win, you know, one in five. But you know, the the ordinary average jockeys probably winning one in ten. That sort of numbers. Well, so. I mean, if you look at you look at the the strike rate of most jockeys, it's around about nine ten percent. Now, if you know, if our favourite football teams were only winning nine percent of their games, we wouldn't be following them very very much, would we? No. And that brings, you know, it brings a lot of pressure that, you know, you're constantly getting beaten on your, when you're performing. And um, I kind of wanted to, to show that. So writing this short story, I was wrote it on my phone one morning when I was laid in bed and it just, you know, it's just a very cathartic thing really. And that then became a, a script. And I've never written a script before. You know, we done we done short scripts for like little TV commercials that we've done before, but nothing, nothing of this scale really. And um, you know, my English teacher would be turning in his grave knowing that Horrocks had written a script because I was absolutely awful at school. I was always called out for being nothing but a dreamer. Uh, you know, always looking out the window really. So it was it was quite surprising this kind of came out of me. But um, I put this thing together and. Um, I showed it to um, Paul Struthers of the Professional Jockeys Association and he was immediately taken with it because it was a completely different look at what horse racing is. You know, what, you know, you look at all the, you know, the famous films that have been made about horse racing. They're all, you know, it's always about glory, isn't it? Yeah. It's, all it's, glory. About, it's, sea, sea it's a glory story. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, you know, and, and I love those films. I love those you know, the champions, the sea biscuits of the, of the world, you know, the secretariats, you know, I mean, to me, they're sometimes a little bit unrealistic, you know, in, in, in some, because you've got to make it, you know, like a, a dreamlike story. Um, but I wanted to show a different side of racing. I wanted to show a side of racing that I've seen and I still see, you know, when I'm doing my jockey cam work and I'm, I'm, I'm in the changing room on a, on a regular basis, I can see those signs when someone's not having a good day. They don't quite show it to the rest of the world, but I recognise that person because that was me at that time as well. You see, so it's uh, it was a real um, a real cathartic for me thing for me to get this this story down. And Paul Struthers read it and said, "You've got to do something with this. You've got to get it like finished, or we've got to try and get it funded." And he 
offered you know to you know, offered some money to pay for it and um, it just wasn't enough to to get it get it going so we you know we kind of you know pitched this thing around and the even keel foundation which is a, a charity for, uh, for 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 men with mental health was was put together by by a lady called Sam Hillier and um, she said she'd help her help fund this as well and um, but it still wasn't quite enough because we wanted to do a really good job of this and and it's like building a house you know if you want to if you want to build a, a decent house, you've got to you've got to have the funding to make it. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit like that with making a, making a film. Really, you know, they they do cost a lot of money to make if you're going to do them properly. So, um, lucky enough, um, Nigel Payne, who used to be uh, chief executive at the uh, Professional Jockeys Association, uh, who is now um, trustee of the uh, Sir Peter O'Sullivan Charitable Trust, he read the script and immediately said how much do you need to make this? And, um, I, you know, I told him I, I needed, I needed a certain amount. And he was like, right, let, here's the money. Go and, go and make it the best it can possibly be. And I mean, I remember immediately like, you know, nearly bursting into tears, you know, like someone believed in us to, to actually go and create this. And I think it's probably because of the background we've had, you know, creating, you know, award-winning documentaries like we've done with many clouds and, um, you know, the Mark Johnson piece that we made about Mark's, Mark's life. You know, I think that gave credibility to us to, to actually go and physically go and make this. And um, lucky enough, um, um, people, it was, you know, uh, Robert Bathurst got involved um, later on in, in, in the stage as well, where um, he, got, he got given the script. And um, you know, he's a big racing fan as well, isn't he? He's a huge, huge racing fan. He, um, he When we have phone calls, and, and we've had many of them leading up to making the fall, during the fall and after the fall, we'll spend at least 15, 20 minutes talking about horse racing. He is obsessed with it. He loves it. He loves the, everything that makes it tick. Um, you know, the characters and he's a real, real fan. And it's lovely to, to, to kind of tell these kind of stories to, to, to someone that's just, just a sponge for all this stuff, you know? So it's, um, so it was great actually to get him involved and he, he helped me then develop the script a little bit wider because obviously there was a, there was a, a skeleton there, but it did need some meat put on the bones of the, of, of the story and some character development because there's only actually three people that appear in this film. And he's the trainer, uh, isn't he, uh, Robert Bathurst? He plays the trainer. He's, he's, the, he's the, the voice that delivers the, the blow, really. Um, and I'm not making the trainer to be the bad person in this at all because um, what I'm trying to do is, is to show that the trainer's under pressure as well because everybody is is held accountable where if, if if a horse runs bad really but usually the last the last person it stops with is is the jockey you know it's it you know they're the easier one to get rid of really and um and that can happen in in racing but it can also happen with trainers where owners take horses away they want to change change stables and i kind of wanted to show that in this film really that the trainer's under pressure as well and and he's got a difficult decision to make because you know he needs to say to the jockey, look, the, you know, the owners don't want you anymore. And, um, and which is you know, everybody's that's ever ridden in a race, you know, the, the professional or amateurs has, has had that, uh, has had that phone call at some point where they've just been told that they can't, you know, they can't ride, you know, can't ride it again, you know? So, and, um, and that's where Robert really, really helped me because I've never directed actors before. I've made documentaries, but I've never really directed, you know, talent in, in the way of uh, forming a script and asking them to perform in some way. So that's where Robert came, became on and, and became co-director. And um, we, um, we shot the whole film in December. Um, 
within four days because we had a small window when COVID was actually let us, you know, to, to, we were allowed to mix for a short time. And it was and, filmed um, at was it Ascot Racecourse, I read. Ascot Racecourse, yeah. That Ascot have been, you know, they've been absolutely amazing with us. They were, they were, you know, really accommodating in, in letting us uh, use the changing rooms there at Ascot because that's where the, the film kind of start, starts and ends, really. And then we had a, a second day of filming where it's the car journey, the long car journey. Of, um, of where this this poor uh, character Tom has um, has 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 his has his breakdown really, and um, so we, we you know we filmed that on the second day and then and then the third day was uh, we shot it in Lambourne at uh, a friend's house of mine where is you know our our main character arrives home. Um, I won't give the plot away too much, but um, oh, yeah. um, this is where you know the the, the, the things amount really and. Um, and, and it's it's the difficulty of, of of the conversation he has with his um you know with his partner about hiding all this stuff you know because I think one thing we've got to understand is you know these these pressures that uh, our athletes are under and not just jockeys you know this could be about a footballer it could be about a cricketer you know we are as well as the pressures of of, of sport comes results and with those results um, we have social media good or bad when it when it's going great everybody's a hero but when things don't go right that's where um you know people on social media feel as as though they have the right and the permission to abuse our athletes and it's um it's been painful to see some of the stuff that these these guys receive we we actually use some real tweets and text messages in the film um, I remember showing my wife the script and she said, you're going to have to tone the language down a little bit in this. It's a bit unrealistic, isn't it? And I went, no, these are actual, these are actual tweets and, and text messages that were sent to the sent to jockeys. And she well, just last, week, last week on our podcast, you know, Paige Fuller um, was explaining to me the uh, tweets that she'd received uh, um, mm. and actually said some on, on the podcast. Um, and for a young, young jockey, um, it, it brings... And especially in the environment we've been living in as well with people in bubbles with other sports and in the COVID world, it, it, it really has brought it home, I think. It has. I mean, you know, we, you know, we saw the Safi Osborne uh, text, uh, sorry, uh, message that she got. I think it was through, through Facebook Messenger, I think it was that she received it. And, um, you know, it wasn't Safi that brought it to our attention because she gets this stuff on a regular basis she told me you know and she's actually not that bothered about it you know and luckily she's not bothered about it however her dad saw it and it affected him you know now that, that's what I'm trying to show it's not just the athlete you're abusing they have a you know a wife a husband a mother a father you know they see this stuff and it's you know how would they feel the people that send in this stuff if someone was attacking their you know their family in some way you know, and and I think that's why we need to keep. You know, we need to hold these social media platforms accountable. Government needs to start putting pressure on them because I know for a fact that it's it's definitely affecting some of these uh, some of these athletes. It's, it's not just social media that's affecting them; it's the pressures of the sport. But but this can be a tipping point, and I think that's why I wanted to create this film to show. You know, that they're human beings; they're like all of us. They have real problems. You know, they've got to pay the bills. They've, you know, they've got relationship struggles and 
all this all this stuff, all this normal stuff that we don't see. Then we look at sports stars and we think, oh yeah, they get paid a load of money and they're you know they, their lives are great, and we feel as though we have the right to attack them. And um, and I just want to make sure that no, they're human beings. We need to be kind, and we need to be kind always. And we've had some tragic um, events in horse racing, in particular, in the last two or three years as well. Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it was it was it was with with the death of my my really good good friend James Banks, and um, and I didn't know Liam Treadwell greatly. I mean, I, I knew him from you know working in the changing room because we were kind of like different uh, generations of, of of riding, but um, but uh, I knew Liam, um, but I, re- I knew James really well. In fact, he would. Tom Garner, and he was a he was a still a uh, jockey over here in the US, but he rode in the UK for a long time. You know, we sh- we shared a house, and um, and James would often sleep on the on the couch on a Friday night, and um, you know we had some heavy conversations really, you know, because we were both going through similar things at the same time, but um, neither of us would really talk deep enough about where we were, but we kind of had an understanding of where we were. It was that unspoken word really, and. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's often, you know, you, you think you're trying, you can try and help people, but you know, he, he wasn't getting the help or didn't ask for help or whatever. And, and, and lucky enough, I was the one that did ask for help and, and, and I've come through it to the other end really. And unfortunately James didn't. So that was the, pardon the language, the kick up the ass really for me to go and get this film made. Cause I wanted to make sure that everybody's aware of what these people are going through. And, and also if someone is going through this, that they can watch it and say, Oh yeah, that's me. And, I can um, I can ask for help and and, and get help because last thing we need is is you know is is, is more athletes uh, uh, going through this and 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 then you know and in their lives because they haven't had the right help. And when will the film be released? So we're just going through it, going through that at the moment. It's going to be released in the autumn. So we've got we've got the broadcaster, but I'm just not allowed to announce it yet. So in the next week or so, we'll be able to announce who the broadcaster is and where you're going to be able to see it. Cause I want as many eyes to see this as possible. Um, so it's going to be free to everybody to watch it and um, you know, it'll be shown more than once, um, but it's going to be on TV. So free for people to see, but we've also entered the film into a, um, a number of film festivals around the world, you know, just, just to try and really, uh, you know, broaden, the appeal of, of what we're trying to trying to show really. And I wanted to show it in, in, in front of a, a non-sporting, but in particular a non-horse racing audience really. And um, we've been um, already accepted for three uh, film festivals, in fact, and, and also it's just one uh, best short drama at the uh, Indie Shorts Awards in, uh, in Los Angeles. So we just got notification of that uh, a couple of days ago. So we're really chuffed. It's already award, an award-winning piece and I'm just itching now to tell everybody when we can actually, <laughs> you know, when we can actually show them it, you know, because it's, um, you know, it's not a, it's not an easy, easy piece to watch. It's, it's, you know, it's going to really, it's going to make a few people angry, a few people upset, and it's going to ask a lot of questions of, of, of themselves, you know, and, um, you know, I need to take a hard look at how I'm, how I'm treating somebody. And, and, and that's what I want it to do. I want it to get a reaction really. And, uh, I'm, I'm really excited that we're, we're going to be able to show it in, in the autumn to everybody. Well, as an ex-jockey, you should have a, a good perspective of what it was like to be a jockey. And I just want to take you back now to your own beginnings in racing, uh, because you're born in Yorkshire, but you were raised in in Kenya. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's such a bizarre thing when I tell people that. And, and now you're say, in well, California. Why? Yeah. Well, yeah, there was a, why were you in Kenya? And I was like, well, my dad was a jockey. And they were like, what, they had a horse racing in Kenya? And I was like, yeah. You know, uh, in the 70s, I mean, I think Kenya was like one of the, the, the main attractions for, um, you know, the, the, the UK jockeys to, to, to go somewhere for the winter because we didn't have all-weather racing back then. So they would always go somewhere for the winter. And, uh, you know, my dad said he often rode against like Lester Piggott and Willie Carson and people like that you know, coming out to uh, Kenya to ride. A uh, bit of a busman's holiday for them all, I think. You know, um, while the while the winter winter months were 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 being covered by jump racing in the in the UK. So, um, you know, yeah, growing up there was 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 lovely, really. But we came back to the UK when I was um, when I was five and um, moved to the, the the horse racing town of Midland. So that's my you know that's my original home, really. You know, that's what I call home. You know, is is, is the racing town of Midland and grew up there and. Um, was never ever gonna go into racing. Hated, hated anything to do with with racing. It just wasn't, you know, wasn't something I was into. I was into, you know, skateboarding and, uh, you know, BMX, you know, BMXing and all the alternative things that you could be into. You know, and you know, music, hip hop, all that sort of stuff. So racing as a as a sixteen year old when I was leaving school was um, was something I was just not interested in, and. Um, my dad took me down to evening stables one evening and, um, you know, said, you know, you've got to have a, you've got to have a job sometime, you know, you should, you should think about the horse racing as a, as a, as a career. And, um, I remember just that, that, that one evening going down to evening stables with him really. And just the connection with the horse, I kind of let all the other stuff that was, that was making me think that horse racing wasn't very cool. You know, that it's, it's just for old posh people. That's how I saw it as a, as a, you know, as a 16 year old looking at, how horse racing is, is marketed and, you know, and I'm, you know, can go on to that. That's how Equine Productions came about, but you know, I wasn't going to be involved in it, but it was the connection with the horse really that I found fascinating really. And, um, immediately got a job at George Moore's, uh, in Midland and, um, you know, never, never really sat on a horse before. So I learned to ride and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and then after I was served a couple of years at George Moore's, went to Chris Thornton's and uh, became conditional jockey for Chris and, and and did and uh, did quite well for him and, and and then Mickey Hammond you know offered me a job and I worked for him for a few years and and that's where I kind of started and ended my jockey career really you know um, I think I rode about 60, 62, 63 winners in my you know nine ten year career yeah I was going to say for for, for for listeners you you went to the British Racing School I think in nineteen ninety four and you rode your first winner in. Was your first run in your first ride as well in December? It was my second. It was my second <laughs> ride. Yeah, my dad always winds me up about it because he rode his first winner on his first ride. So yeah, so he, he he thinks he's a little bit better than I was. But I I my 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 claim to fame is, you know, it was over hurdles. His was a flat race, so I think it's it's a little bit easier. Yeah, <laughs> much, much harder over hurdles, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yes. I, I say so your yeah. first winner was at uh, Edinburgh now Musselburgh. Yeah, and um, you know, if if I was to have my first winner today, it would be a text message or a Facebook message or a you know from from you know from family and friends. But um, then it was a um, a fax. I got a fax through from Chris Chris Fairhurst Yard where my dad was working. Well done, son. Uh, sent all the way through to Musselburgh. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. You know, um, you know that this fax came through through to, through to Musselburgh uh, office, and somebody came running in and said, "Oh, so your dad's just sent you this." I mean, it's just you know, it was such a special day. I mean, everybody will remember the first winner. Every jockey will do because it's such a great feeling. 
and it's something that um, you know I'm constantly still trying to um, to show a non horse racing audience or even a horse racing audience really you know that the fact that um, we can relate to pretty much every sport you know played because we've all played most sports at uh, an amateur level or, uh, or or just you know as, as kids you know whether it be skateboarding to football or cricket or golf whatever it may be um but not many of us can get to try riding a racehorse at 40 miles an hour and um to actually you know experience that is just like the best feeling in the world you know it really is whether it's riding a five furlong race or you know riding a you know two mile chase it's 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 that thing of working together with the, you know, the equine athlete, you know, equine athlete as, you know, that these, these two, you know, species working together for a common goal is, you know, to get past that winning, winning line first. And, it, and, and when it happens, it's just the best feeling in the world, honestly, it's, and it's hard to describe to people really um, what, what that feels like, you know, especially working with a, with a, you know, with an animal, you know. But you rode at the, the Cheltenham festival though. So, uh, so why did you retire from race riding? Well, I am, um, for me, it just, I just found it too hard, really. I just found the whole thing too hard. And I suppose that's probably why I've, you know, written this, this film. I, um, I just, just didn't enjoy the down days. I enjoyed the up days, but they were just too and far, too and far between, really. And the down days just became really hard. And, um, you know, nothing against Mickey Hammond, but, he, you know, he was, he was a very driven character at the, t- at the time. You know, I speak to jockeys now when they... Um, that ride for him and say he's a very much changed character. But I remember at the time just, just like finding him very, very hard to work for, you know, very demanding. And I just probably didn't have the, you know, someone would call it backbone, I suppose, but um, I probably would have been better off being nurtured rather than, you know, driven really. And, um, and that's when I felt as though I was at my best when someone would just give me, you know, give me free reign really rather than, rather than tie me down with, you know, with either, you know, instructions or, or whatever it may be, but um, I just stopped enjoying it and um, went and worked for Mark Johnson for around about uh, for about seven years. I mean, those, I was going to say you glory, got to ride some very good horses. Days. You got to yeah, ride some very I mean, good horses there. Attraction, Charmadel, um, Double Trigger, Yavana's Pace, Fruits of Love. Oh, I can go on. Honestly, it was amazing. It was amazing. I just loved it, and I loved riding the two-year-olds. It was a really, really fun time being at Mark's and it was just when Mark was gone from really 50 to like all of a sudden like 120 horses because it just it, all of a sudden there was this like big boom in you know he bought another yard and you could, you could expand the yard and it was really really exciting to see how that whole business developed really and, and how we you know people don't really give him a lot of credit but he's actually changed the way the sport is 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 run these days you know because you can have these big numbers because of the way he, I mean, if anybody's seen the documentary we made on him, he says a famous part in it where he says, um, I had my McDonald's experience where, you know, if you look at every McDonald's, they're all run the same. Well, yeah, that, that's how I'm going to set up, you know, the way we work uh, with, with the racing yard, you know, rather than it being training individual horses, they're all run by a different uh, manager, you see, and they're just given the tools to, to, do their, to do their job. And it was fascinating to see how all that worked. So, uh so I really enjoyed working for Mark. And then uh, lucky enough, a good friend of mine who you had on the podcast, Josh Appiaffi, um, was working for Betfair at the time and, um, and said, look, you know, the, the, the riding out thing isn't going to last forever. You know, there's this job coming up at Betfair. Do you want to do 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 apply for this job? And, um, and I did and 
worked for Betfair for around about uh, six to seven years and um, loved it. You know, I was it was it was great to see what that uh, what that other side of racing we don't get to see. You know, because it feels like a bit of us and them really within horse racing. If you're in the in the actual mechanics of horse racing, you know, on the horse side, the horseman side of things, you know, the betting side of things can kind of be a little bit like, like alienated. It's a bit of us and them really, but now seeing it from both sides, they both really work well in unison. And, uh, and obviously we, you know, don't want to go into the prize money thing, but you know, once we, if we start working together as, 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 as one, I could see us all flourishing and, and, and doing well, but um, it was really nice to see how that, that world worked. And, um, and it also gave me the opportunity to, um, you know, while I was working for Betfair, to, to, to start this idea of, um, you know, Equine Productions. And, and in 2012, it was uh, it was launched. And in 2013, I left Betfair and we did this thing full time. It's been a, been a crazy journey, really. But you also mentioned earlier that uh, you rode many clouds. You used to ride out um, him who won the 2015 Grand National. So were you riding out at the same time as you were working for Betfair then? I was, yeah, yeah, no, I, um, you know, I, I, my boss loved the fact that I was still very much involved in racing and um, I would go into Oliver's and to get my horse fixed before I went off to work every day. And um, Oliver was very kind enough to put me on this gangly gelding uh, that had won at Weatherby a couple of weeks earlier. And um, for some reason, me, and, me and, and old clouds, we just got on well, you know, because he, he was quite keen. He was quite a keen horse. And for some reason, he used to switch off every now and again for me. So I think Oliver quite liked that. And, uh, and he kept me on him. And, I would, and you know, it was, it was great. He, you know, I didn't expect him to be the horse he became. I, I know he felt like a nice horse because I've ridden some nice horses, you know, coming from Mark Johnson's. I didn't really ride some great, great horses like that in my riding career. But, um, you know, I could tell what a good horse felt like. And, um, you know, he had a real engine and a great desire, uh, a great desire to race as well, you know, especially when you put him upside another another horse, he would really compete, you know. So uh, um, it was fantastic, that journey I had with him. And and, and it also sparked the film, our film careers, really, you know, when when Dave James, Sam Fleet, and myself got together to, to create Equine Productions, this was in all in the journey of, of, of me riding many clouds, and we started documenting the horse, you know, uh, very early on just using him as a guinea pig for certain things like jockey cam and and uh you know um you know trainer promo films and stuff like that and um and he, and he was a huge part of, of of getting us launched really and um you know really enjoyed that journey with with, with that horse and oliver and tanya sherwood you know it was, it was a really glorious time and it became an award-winning film the, the many clouds it did, yeah, yeah. We we called it Many Clouds, the People's Horse, because he pretty much became the People's Horse, really. I mean, I know, I know it's been battered around a lot. You know, you say the same about Unable now, I suppose, and Desert Orchid, and you know, horses like that, because they do take a take a character of their own, really. You know, because the people embrace them and and take them for what the for they are. They're not owned by the owner or the trainer and the jockey anymore. It's 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 owned by the public, really. But um, he definitely became that because um, you know, I think he won the um. Um, Racehorse of the Year award uh, two years in a row, you know, and that's and that's voted by the public, which is it just says it all in itself, really. And um, we created this documentary not long after his death. I just we just had so much footage of him. I thought I needed to tell a, a story about him, really. So we just put this uh, thirteen-minute documentary together. It's actually on YouTube if people want to want to go and see it. Yeah, I've watched uh, it. Well worth watching. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, it's just a short look at like how he how he started his career and then, you know, and unfortunately how he ended his career. But um, I still say to this day that, um, 
you know, seeing him beat Thistlecrack that day, you know, there's a very, there's a great photograph um, of him with his ears pricked uh, after the line, you know, and then unfortunately, you know, like moments later, he, um, he passed away, which was, God, it was a, t- that was a really, really tough day to deal with. And, um, but I'm so glad I was part of that journey. So glad that we made that film. And then we took it to New York uh, to a film, film festival in New York. And it was great to show a, um, a non racing audience that that film and in, and then in, you know it won best um uh international director so um i was i'm really really proud really proud of that you know and uh you know my favorite moment was after we won i ran outside onto the streets of new york to ring oliver sherwood um he wasn't over over happy about it because the time difference but um once i told him we'd won uh, the, the the pair of us were bawling our eyes out on the on the phone to each other you know it was just uh it was just a great moment really because the fact that you know he was still wasn't with us but was still winning hearts and minds you know because i think that's what's the, the 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 main thing about this whole sport really Stephen, is you know they um they touch our hearts and our souls these these animals and we um you know, people outside the sport just don't understand why we 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 do the, we do this sport. But you know, we oh, we just got to open our our door a bit more ajar so we can let the uh, the non racing world in, so they can see why we do this and why we love them so much and uh, and why it's such a great uh, great sport to be involved with. Well, it's clear from what you've been saying and and reading about you, you like telling stories. So, but how? And you've mentioned that. Equine production started in started in two thousand and twelve, but how does an ex national hunt jockey become a film director? Yeah, I mean it's a great question. I mean, I, I think I think what it is. I'm I'm a huge fan of um, huge fan of documentaries myself. Anyway, you know, I'll cut my wife. I drive my wife mad watching stuff on Netflix and you know, particularly music documentaries. And I've seen that that thing of you know the making stuff in your bedroom culture you know we make music in our bedrooms now we don't go to a big studio and make them you know like now i'm talking to you in your i think it's your living room you're doing a podcast we're we're, in, we're able to do this sort of stuff now years ago we'd have had to gone to a you know rent a nice radio station and that's because the internet really you know it came about you know uh what was it 2010 you know where youtube was was launched and you know you could start making your own things and you didn't have to go to film school you could do it yourself and I just had the drive and the, you know, that teacher called me a dreamer, but I am a dreamer. And um, I dreamt of making this stuff as a very early kid, but I just, you know, growing up in North Yorkshire, you don't go to film school. You don't do that. You know, you go to be a builder or a farmer. I went into racing. So I wanted to mix my two loves, which was horse racing and the film. And um, lucky enough, you know, the internet that was, that, that, that brought all this homemade stuff out you were able to buy a, ca- a cheap digital camera and make it yourself you know we're doing it now on our mobile phones you know my stepdaughter's on tiktok every day you know she creates her own and that's what that's how this whole stuff has is, is become we, we we've become the creators and um and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to create content that showed the racing world in a better way than it was being shown that anybody can be involved and and also that it can be exciting it's not just about the betting and it's not just about the result it's about the journey and the story and that's what i've always wanted to uh that's what i've always wanted to do and lucky enough uh, you know my bumping into my two business partners dave james and sam fleet we were enabled 
the three of us to do that and set it up and, and, and start creating some amazing content that, uh, that, that still gets shown now. And, uh, you know, we're still heavily involved in, 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 uh, telling, telling stories and it's, it's, it's just, it's something that we will, we'll continue doing, um, <laughs> till, 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 till I'm a good age. Cause I've just, I haven't lost the passion for it. I'd recommend anyone to watch some of the videos that I've found on YouTube that Equine Productions have, have made. And also, uh, you mentioned it earlier about jockey cam. Was that your idea or how did that come about as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, jockey cam's not a new thing. I mean, in the 80s, they were putting cameras on the jockeys in on the BBC, you know, for the Grand National. But this They thing were was... because um, Richard, Richard Pittman, Richard Pittman been on this podcast. He um, told me about this massive thing. It was like on his head that was so heavy. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, I mean, you know, they were getting paid danger money to wear this thing. Do you know what I mean? It was, you know, you wouldn't get away with it now with health and safety rules now, because it's hence the reason we've had to go through what we've gone through. But, um, you know, in the eighties they were using that, but it was so heavy, unsafe to wear, you know, if it had a fall with that, he, he probably would have hurt himself. So, I think the thing for me was, you know, being a big sports fan myself and in particular motorsport, I, a lot of people try and compare horse racing with football in some in some way. I don't know why, but I, I always compare us to, you know, like how Formula One is, is run, really. You know, we have the same thing. We have stewards and, you know, start and a finish line. And, you know, you know, we, we can look at how Formula One has developed as a, you know, as a sport and as a platform for people to watch. And, um, you know, the onboard camera has really opened everybody's eyes that oh my god how dangerous that looks do you know what i mean so when i was riding i've had it myself you know where i've been abused for you know what the hell were you doing on that horse or you know why didn't you do this or and it's hard to hard to show somebody from the camera angles that we have um been using racing because it doesn't show everything so i wanted to show from the point of view of the rider and show the excitement of what it's like to be a rider hence you know i was saying earlier you know we've played a lot of you know many people have played sports at different levels so we can kind of relate to them but not everybody can relate to riding a you know a highly tuned thoroughbred at 40 miles an hour and making those split decisions so i think the thing was i um i wanted to create something where we could show the public how these athletes work and um we wanted to create something that was safe to wear, and we also wanted to create something that um, that could that could show from a you know from from a certain angle what um, you know what it's like to ride in these races. So that's how kind of jockey cam came about, really. And uh, we were very lucky to um, to have it on the first weekend we launched jockey cam on Channel Four. Actually, was at uh, the Grand National in 2015, and. Um, I mean, it was, it was it was an absolute blessing in disguise. We were lucky enough to have it on many clouds when he won the Grand National, and that was it then. You know, um, we were, were away then, and we've since then taken it around the world. We've taken it to, uh, you know, to uh, the Breeders' Cup here in America. You know, we've taken it to Australia, Melbourne Cup, uh, Saudi Cup, France in the Ark. You know, it's been fantastic to actually show the pictures, but not only showing the pictures, but showing it live. There's nothing like watching it live from the rider. And... Um, my only frustration is sometimes is the the director that works for ITV, whether it be you know because the, they change directors is I just wish they cut to it live sometimes in the race because it's such a thrilling thing to see, you know they'll they'll cut to it you know walking into the stalls or going down to the start or whatever but uh, and they normally use it just for replays but to actually physically watch it happening from a rider as it's happening is a really really thrilling thing to see especially when 
you know, they make a, a major move to to win the race or whatever it may be, because it is a really thrilling thing to see. Yeah, it really shows the uh, tactics of a jockey and shows where he might have to move to and does move to and where he gets shut off. It really brings home the thrill of racing and the and the speed they're going when they when you're actually seeing it through the jockey's camera. Exactly, yeah, you know, and that, and that was the whole point, really. You know, I wanted to show the public like what it's like, you know, because it's the nearest thing we can we can physically do is is, is put the camera. And, and and the great thing is, you know, we've it's been embraced fantastically by by all the jockeys and trainers and owners. I mean, in the sport itself, but it's not cheap to put to to, to put this stuff on a racetrack because racetracks are really big um, areas to fill. So for us to get a signal from this small, tiny transmitter that we've had to develop so it's safe if they do have a fall um, is, is not a cheap, a cheap thing to, to do. So it's, it, is, it is expensive for, for um, ITV to provide jockey cam uh, just because of the manpower and the um, amount of equipment we use. Because people just think, oh, it's just a camera on the, on, the, on the jockey's head. But it's not that. It's the infrastructure that we have to put in around the track to get these pictures from this rider. To, you know, to help the world see it, really. So, um, uh, you know, things are moving, technology is moving faster and faster all the time. So hopefully it can come more cheap and, and then there'll be a day where we'll see every runner from the Grand National, uh, not just one camera. You know, it'll be every rider and you'll be able to pick which rider you want to, you know, ride with or, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it, we're really excited about where the technology is going. But... Um, we're um you know we're just so glad that we 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 we've been the pi- kind of pioneers really of of making sure that uh, that it gets seen and, and on a regular basis around the world really well it certainly adds to the coverage and and what other plans of equine what other projects have you got lined up say in the next 12 months well there's 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 one we're working on at the moment and we can't really say a lot because we're just pitching it to um a couple of major uh, platforms um but we've been following um we've been following Ochi Murphy and um and Andrew Baldwin over the last year and a half telling the story of horse racing so um it, we're really excited by what we've captured um as you the, your listeners can't see but I've got a smile from ear to ear right now about what we've got it I'm so excited about this story that we're going to tell and um yeah it's you know it's 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 um i want to do more of this stuff you know it's like the fall you know the fall when i wrote it it's actually a scene to a larger film you know a larger story so i've really got a thirst for this stuff now you know telling these big these bigger stories rather than just these short promos and i really want to start um you know bringing horse racing to the forefront of 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 how this stuff is seen but i want to show a reality to it as well i i want to show the credibility of, of of what horse racing is about, you know. I love the fact that we do make films like Dream Horse and Sea Biscuit, and you know, we mentioned it earlier, Champions. But sometimes they're a little bit unrealistic, you know. I want to show the real, the real people, the real sport in in in, in a light that um, that can really inspire, um, really inspire fans. Like like the Drive to Survive series has done for Formula One, you know, it's been a huge success that and. Um, and that's the type of thing that we want to um, we want to go and make, really. Well, Osin Murphy's a fantastic communicator with his own uh, videos that he does um, on his mobile phone in the car on the way home. So he must be great to actually film. He is. He's you know he's been brilliant at giving us access. And I think there's two things there. You know, it, it's credit to the person that Osin Murphy is 
but maybe also the credit to the people that we are because you know we're we're cemented in this world of horse racing we're not here to you know not there's anything to 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 dig up but you know we're going to be we're going to be careful with the story that we tell and we're going to tell it in in a right and a, in a proper way you know so um i think if anything that we want to um you know all the all the jockeys that are riding you know in 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 the current day are all aware that um you know they need to be uh, a little bit more uh, engaging and a bit more proactive with the sport, uh, uh, selling the sport because that's what pays them. You know, if the sport doesn't survive, they don't survive. So we've all got to work together to to promote the sport. And lucky enough, we've got people like Ocean Murphy, Frankie Tory, Tom Markland, Holly Doyle. I mean, I could go on. I could go on. You know, the Ortiz brothers here in the US. You know, Craig Williams in Australia. I can I can go on because there's you know they're all getting it now you know they're seeing themselves as athletes and the stars of the sport and um and they're helping us as a company sell sell what we're all enjoying which is which is uh, the horse racing as, as as a product and and an enjoyable entertainment you know uh medium to to, to you know to, to to spread amongst the masses i mean i when i met my wife she was not a horse racing fan she said isn't horse racing cruel and i'm like no you've been given the wrong information taking her to the stables, you know, in Lambourne. She's like, why don't we see all this stuff? And I'm like, well, there you go. We need to be better at it. We need to show the love and the care that our athletes, our equine athletes get and our human athletes get, you know, it's, we need to be better at that and, and, and promote the sport in a, in a, in a new and engaging way. Well, here, here to that, the best of luck with, with that project. And more importantly, the best of luck with your film, The Fall, which as you said, is coming out in the autumn and it's going to be free for all of us to watch. Uh, really looking forward to seeing it. And thank you very much for sparing your time and being on the paddock and the pavilion. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a it's been a pleasure, and um, you know I uh, I look forward to uh, seeing everybody's reactions to the fall because um, it's a I'm really proud of what we've what we've created, and um, you know it's it's been a huge team effort to get this film made. Um, in, in, you know, in particular, you know, from the PGA. Even Kill Foundation, uh, Foundation and, uh, and Nigel Payne at the uh, Sir Peter O'Sullivan uh, Charitable Trust. I'm sure it's something Peter would have enjoyed because it, you know that's that that foundation was set up to to to, to help the sport uh, stay alive and you know have a legacy really. And um, I'm hoping that this is going to be a, a start of that. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Courtesy of Equine Productions, Nathan has allowed me to play the official trailer of the Fall. Beacon of hope turns for home with Habitat in the black and white colours stalking in second. His rider looks very confident. listening to the paddock and the pavilion follow us on twitter facebook and now on instagram at the pad and pad don't forget if you like the show please do leave us a rating and review
Social Podcast Network.